Welcome back to another episode of the Heron Outlet. I'm Ian Hest. He's Austin Robillard. She's Alex Winley. And another week, and sadly to report, another loss for Inter Miami, the fifth in a row. And falling down the standings in the Eastern Conference will break it all down. A one nothing loss to now CF Montreal, formerly known as the Montreal Impact, giving up a 41st-minute goal and, again, not scoring. So, guys, let, let's jump right into to that aspect of it because it really seems to be a crux for Inter-Miami, not just conceding goals, but finding those goals that they're going to score. Now, with only nine goals in 11 matches, the fewest amount of goals in the entire league, not just the Eastern Conference, but all of Major League Soccer. What's going on there? Why can they not find the back of the net? Only one goal in this past five consecutive loss streak. Where where is it going to come from, and what is the issue? I'm going to take the lead here on this and I'm just going to give you the numbers and I'm going to leave the tactical analysis up to Alex. Uh, So first off in this match, you actually saw from inter Miami, the lowest expected goals number in the entire season. So far, the number was 0.28. And especially in that first half, they ended in with an XG of 0.09 when I did my numbers after the first half. And actually too. In that first half, they completed the least amount of passes in the opposition's half than they have in the entire season in any half thus far, that number just being 57. When Higuain came on at halftime, the game completely changed for Inter-Miami. No, they they still didn't create great chances, but just to put it into perspective, after only completing uh, uh, 57 passes in the opposition's half, at the end of the game, that number was all the way up to 186. So there was 99, there was 100 and what, 20, what's my number? What's the number here? 129, 129 completed in the second half as compared to 57 in the first half. So that's a massive difference. Uh, Miami was not on their game. The cohesion was not there. For some reason, this team just can't bring it down uh, when they're in the opposition's half and the attack just looks extremely lackluster. And I would say it has to do with some of the quality that's on the pitch for sure. Obviously, you have Jay Chapman starting still, Breck Shea and Julian Carranza. Now, Breck Shea probably had the better of the three when you look at last season, but a lot of them still... I mean, it was, it was they struggled a lot in this match, and Jay Chapman is not that number 10 that you necessarily won on the field. Obviously, Higuain didn't start, so there was you know a lot of issues going on there, some inexperienced and MLS quality levels that aren't to the standard that they should be, and I think that that's where a lot of the problems come from. The numbers don't look good, and they've been going down. Inter-Miami are not getting better. Sure, Phil Neville can say that the attitude is better and the mentality and the effort from the players is better, but they are not competing at a level which they should. Alex, we'll get to your tactics in just a sec, but Austin, I don't want to 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 leave the numbers. You know that I love that that number comparison, and 0.28 is really, frankly, atrocious for an expected goal for an entire 90-minute match. I mean, you might sometimes expect that from one person. In fact, Gonzalo Higuain, like you had mentioned, on his own was almost close to that 0.28 number if it weren't for Chapman's shot that he had had. The entire game, though, just from a bare-bones knuckled idea for people that don't know expected goals and expected assists and all, and, all of these things, uh, there were only three shots on target, right? One from Higuain, who came on at halftime, one from Morgan, and one from Chapman. That's it. For 90 minutes to play an entire game without challenging a keeper at all, there has to be, and this is where I want to bring Alex into the conversation, there has to be some sort of uh, understanding of tactically why they're simply not getting these shots off. So Alex, can you help us understand what's going on? Why can they have, because the possession numbers have improved. The, the, you would say that Miami has had control of the match more in the past couple of games, and yet they're just simply 
doing absolutely nothing with it and not even threatening to score goals. I think we see Inter Miami, they don't have a true creative presence in that team. You know, we've talked about Rodolfo Pizarro and his lack of uh, creativity. You know, Iguain has been tried to that spot as well, but um, excuse me, Federico Iguain, but you know, he's 36 coming off a knee injury and he may not have the legs to do it anymore. Um, so when you see Gonzalo Iguain come in, he is uh, not only a nine, but he's the team's 10 at this at this point like neville subbed him on um last game and he basically was the team's main creative threat and yes jay chapman was the 10 but he's not that creative presence he's gonna work hard he's gonna run he's gonna try to disrupt the opposition's uh midfield but he's he's not that creative presence either you know the wingers aren't uh, you know, I think it's probably a tactical thing with Neville. The wingers probably aren't hugging the touchline as much as they were last season. They're probably cutting in a bit more. So there's there's no width. There's no one in the center of the park that can take control of the game and play the ball through the third. So it just looked like a, 11 headless chickens running around trying to stop Montreal's uh, uh, fluid ball movement between, between their three center backs, between Mihailovic, you know, finding those uh, pockets of space so that first half was pretty poor and it's been a reoccurring theme for Miami this season so we've seen that that Inter Miami has uh really I don't want to say even taken a step back because last year was rough as well but this season maybe it's more of the same maybe it's a little bit worse some players ha- have you know not been as productive if that's fair as last year, I don't know if one of them is Lewis Morgan. Still was the team MVP last year, as named by the club. Uh, still was a, has been very productive for them this season, but maybe not getting as much as you wanted. And when he is such a valuable part of the team, that can wind up being difficult. So what's going on there? Because it seems like... He's still being that creative factor for me. He's still being that the, the offense is running through him. And yet, for whatever reason, nothing's happening on the other end. And so it sort of just winds up being this blank void where, where he's trying to do something and yet it's just falling flat. I don't want to say that Lewis Morgan has no help. But at the same time, you have to look at his three attacking partners to start this game. And it's kind of what I mentioned just before. Carranza, who is unproven still in MLS, has potential, sure, but has not proven anything. And in three starts, he has not scored as a number nine. Jay Chapman is the number 10. And Breckshay out on the left wing, who's, in my honest opinion, his performances are dipping more and more. As much as he's a fan favorite, I, I don't think that he's performing at the level that he should and when you look at a a true winger in Lewis Morgan it's hard to extract everything from him and him and just solely him it's hard to do that and under Diego Alonso it was yes everything runs through Lewis Morgan that was despite Gonzalo Higuain and Pizarro being on the field you know in this case scenario in the game against Montreal, which the attacking partners he started with, of course, you're going to expect Lewis Morgan to be doing more of the heavy workload on the offensive side, but it still wasn't there. Uh, When Alonzo was coaching Lewis Morgan, it was everything through him, run down the wing, find somebody in the box, even get inverted sometimes. Something that I haven't seen enough of from Lewis Morgan uh, this season, getting inverted. The only time I, I have a true uh, memory of Lewis Morgan getting inverted. It was the equalizing goal against Atlanta United at Drive Pink Stadium a couple weeks ago. Um, and, and that's really it. So I, I think that we need to see more of a, a selfish Lewis Morgan if he's going to be the quality guy that's on the field most of the time. I, I still obviously adore him as a player and not necessarily as a leader on this team, but an energizer almost, I would say. He's got a lot of quality to prove. I just feel like the attacking partners he's with, and even the midfield. I mean, that's something I know Alex is going to want to touch on. Matuidi uh, being in there, he was a ghost all game. 
there's absolutely no connection from the back to the front. Uh, if there is any, they are throwing up long balls, and that's the only way the offense gets the ball. There's no good passes of play. So there's a bunch of different aspects to this, a bunch of different variables as to why Lewis Morgan is not performing at the level as he did last season. But, I mean, obviously I'm hoping for a turnaround. I just don't see where it's coming, not just for Lewis Morgan, but almost for the entire team. Yeah, to add on to your point, Austin, I think that it's, you know, the team as a whole has been playing poorly. Yes, Lewis Morgan can do better, but I'm curious to see what tactics Neville is telling them because, you know, with the Gal- the Galaxy game, the first game of the season, like, Intermommy looked a real threat. They were pressing, they were, you know, attacking through the wings, they were playing almost fluid football but that's all digressed so quickly so I'm just curious to what Neville is doing you know what is he telling the players you know like last season Lewis Morgan was always on that touchline trying to get balls into the box but it's it's almost as if Neville has told him to cut inside more and like Austin said about Lewis's goal against Atlanta that was literally the only time we saw Lewis you know cut into his favorite left foot I don't know he's a bit good with both feet but uh, yeah that's the only time we we saw him you know cut inside and make something happen by himself so I think yes Lewis Morgan needs to do better but the team as a whole I don't think it's their setup tactically in order to get the best out of him either so Alex what what would you change because what I would tell you is like yeah I mean Lewis Morgan has played more centrally this year than he did last year and he doesn't seem to be as comfortable doing that. The other thing that I would say is it, lost in this conversation in, in Austin, you touched on it to start this this whole dialogue is, you know, Julian Carranza was very boisterous, very loud about when he scored his his first goal saying, oh, Diego Alonso isn't giving me the opportunity, like show me when he scored that last year, he was very confident in himself. So for him to come out here and be performing at that level, not even getting a shot last week is, I mean, at what point does does he need to start taking responsibility? And we still go back to, like you had said, Breck Shea, yes, we all love him. We all love Shrek. It's a wonderful opportunity for him. But he was in League One not too long ago. And I, I don't know, someone at that age, that supporting cast, at what point do they need to start having some responsibility on this instead of us just going, hey, Lewis, you're the best player. Please hold the weight of the world on your shoulders like this. No, I definitely agree, especially about Breck Shea. He's not necessarily like his days of being an MLS starter. They're over. He's he should be nothing more than a rotational piece on a team like this. You know, uh, Miami has been short on that left wing side. So that's literally the only reason he's been starting is because Neville has no other options. But I do agree with you, Ian, about, um, you know, other role players needing to take responsibility. It's not just Lewis, you know, or the DPs need to step up. You know, midfield needs to do a better retaining the ball. You know, our defense needs to do better not leaving gaping holes um, <laughs> uh, uh, next to each other, letting goals in. It's just a collective. The team as a whole is just poor. So uh, we, we've talked a lot about the the attack. And I, I think that at this at this stage, the attack, I mean, they have to score goals and we know that how they do it. We don't know. But also. At the same time, if you look at the goal that that Miami conceded, this is me transitioning to wanting to talk about the defense. Um, if you look at the goal that that Miami conceded, and how many actually chances Montreal had in that first half, they were lucky not to be Inter Miami were lucky not to be down two or three nil like they were the first time they played Montreal this season. Um, Nico Figal was caught way out of place. He was instru- I, I think that this might have to do with the Neville instructions. I, I've got to be honest. Uh, but Mihailovic ended up getting that ball down the right side. But when Nico Figal pushed up to a, a Montreal player and man marked him about 40 yards away from the goal was when you saw LGP and McCoon scrambling back and they simply just didn't have enough numbers uh, at the back and they were being taken on by 
Mihailovic and then eventually the goal scorer who made a run down the right side and where Mihailovic found him. And that's why McCoon looked all out of place because he was asked to do a little bit too much. So there are still questions for me when it comes to the defense and, and definitely Christian McCoon. And this is where I think uh, Gibbs will come in big Alex. I don't know uh, if you have any thoughts on this. I'll let you go, but I have one more thought on McCoon right after, which is pretty interesting uh, and something that I noticed tactically that I think you'll be proud of me for. Yeah, um, about that, like, rewatching the goal, it's it's strange how this is, seems to be a common thing with Inter-Miami defenders where, where they'll just push up in, into the midfield to try to, like, nick the ball off the opposition, but they miss the tackle completely, thus leading to holes in the back line, which leads to the fullbacks needing to scramble over, which leads to channels on the wing, which opposition teams, like, I'm stressed because I've seen this so many times with this team, they'll leave channels open on the wing, and like you said, with the Montreal goal, that's exactly what happened. Fidel pushed up, which led LGP and McCoon to scramble over, and they left Inner, uh, excuse me, Montreal's wing back wide open, and I believe he ended up scoring. So it's just, it's like I don't know if it's a tactical thing. I hope not, but like, like I don't, you don't defend that way. Like you either like stick or or like twist. You, you either let the opposition run towards you or tackle, but you don't tackle someone in in the midfield like where there's no goal threat. You know, what if Figal got a yellow there, and you know, what if he got a second yellow in the in the second half of the game, and then he's sent off, and then he's suspended. So. Like, I don't know if they think about stuff like this, but it, it's uh, it's like a reoccurring issue with this team. I, I, I'm i I'm at a loss for words because it, it's been so prevalent and Neville needs to, you know, s- s- like stop that immediately. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I fully, fully agree. And that's why it was so frustrating to see how they scored. Despite all the missed chances that they had, you had McCoon, you know, clearing the ball off the line twice earlier on in the match before the goal happened and, you know, you got away with a lot and when you get away with a lot, you have to capitalize and then to, to end up conceding uh, the way they did with Figal basically playing where Gregory should have been playing and man marking a defender. I don't know where he was, but it, it was just, it was mind boggling. And another thing too, I want to touch on Breck Shea a little bit. And I know this doesn't have to fully do with the defense, but with some of the players that Neville has to choose to play at the back, some of them, especially Christian McCoon, is not comfortable going forward. And the reason Breck Shea is on the field for the most part is to receive long balls from John McCarthy and head them down. That's been a reoccurring thing I've seen over the last couple of matches. With that said, the the negative effects of playing Breck Shea there is his inability to link up with Christian McCoon and Christian McCoon to make overlapping runs. You don't see any of that. And I think it hinders the attack a lot more than people realize. McCoon can't get forward. He can't play as many good, simple passes or progressive passes as you would like to see. Um, Breck Shea doesn't have that left back option to link up with. So it's a lot harder for him to be, you know, a successful player going forward. There's a lot of different issues there. And I, I saw quite an imbalance, especially in the first half. And I think that's why you saw halftime substitutions from Phil Neville, uh, because they just had to be made. They, they absolutely had to be made because they weren't getting anything done. Like we said, that number of XG, which is expected goals in the first half, was 0.09, which is just not good enough. And that's why I think the signing of Karen Gibbs is actually going to be pretty productive. He's a lot more quality player than Christian McCoon um, in almost every single aspect of the game, of course. But especially going forward, he'll be able to link up with somebody on that left side. Now, will it be Breck Shea or is Robbie healthy for this Red Bulls game or is it... Indiana. I, I don't know, but if Gibbs is there, it's going to be a little bit better than having McCoon play at left back. And maybe you can see, you know, with Leardham going to the Gold Cup, McCoon moving in next to LGP and then having Figal go back out wide because actually going forward, Figal out wide is less of a liability than him going forward when he's playing center back. So that's something they might have to ponder. Or is Shawcross ready to go another 90 minutes? I'm sure that's something they're monitoring too. Austin, I thank you that you just completely went through our entire rundown in that. There was a lot there, and and we'll get to all of that. So so be patient, buddy. We will get to all of it. But I I do want to stick with the defense thing because, honestly, this team has never defended well in its entire history. It has always given up goals. 
And and so I, I guess I my question to you, Austin, especially, would be in in their entire history, they've only ever had four clean sheets, and three of those are nil-nil draws. They've only ever won one game where they didn't give up a goal. And and so I guess I, I know that you want to talk about the defense and how poor it is, but at some point, don't we just say this is a team that's going to give up goals. We have to accept it. That's always been the style of play. That's how talented or lack thereof that they are. They're going to give up goals and they're going to need to score in order to produce any sort of result, win or draw. That, that It just it must be on the attacking third because they're simply going to give up goals every single game. I also think that the midfield is sort of uh, implicated in this. I don't know if that's the right word, but I think, you know, them not being able to hold on to the ball for more than two minutes is detrimental to, you know, the defense who are constantly scrambling. They don't get a break. I know we'll touch on the Euros later, but if you look at England with Declan Rice and Kelvin Phillips, um, they're both two holding midfielders. If one goes up, the other stays. And with Gregory Matuidi, yes, they've shown uh good performances early in the in the year but you know i've <laughs> i've beaten a dead horse you know matuidi's not technically proficient enough to be that central midfielder that drops between the two center backs and starts progressing the ball forward i don't know why neville keeps having him do that i don't know if gregory can play that that job i know gregory likes to defend he's the guy who's going to get pick up that yellow for you but right now the midfield duo is is poor and while the defense needs to do better, yes, the midfield isn't giving them any help at all. It's basically the, like it, the team's playing with no central midfielders at this point. I feel bad for Gregory because, you know, he's looked decent in every game he's played for Inter Miami, but right now the defense has, you know, no help in front of them. But yeah, they do need to be better for sure. Well, the good news is that help is on the way. Uh, Inter-Miami will welcome in two new signings in Kieran Gibbs and Nick Marsman in goal. Coming up, whether Nick Marsman starts over uh, John McCarthy is to be determined, but definitely some reinforcements. And they added another this past week in, I'll be honest, a surprise to me that really came out of nowhere, Indiana Vasilev, excuse me, uh, coming in from from England, a, a U.S. youth international that will uh, join the team on loan for the rest of the year and really solidify, I think all of us are in agreements, that left uh, third of the field in, in what has been a huge problem. So Indiana being in that left wing role and Gibbs being in that left back role uh, but I'm, I'm just curious, do you think that this sort of tilts the tide a little? Is this going to improve the squad? And, uh, and and how do we see them, or how quickly do we see them probably making an impact? I actually think of the three signings that are coming in, or I guess are already here, uh, Karen Gibbs makes the biggest impact for me. There's always been a question about left back on this side. Uh, you know, Breck Shea had the option to play there, but he was more advanced. Jovan Jones started some games, but looked to be more of an advanced player as well. Then you had to throw in Christian McCoon. So for me, solidifying the left back spot and then giving yourself different options as a club for, for the center back positions and then also on the right back position makes things a lot, you know, better for Neville because there's better options there uh, or, or not just not necessarily better options, but more options to choose from. And obviously they've dealt with a lot of injuries throughout this season thus far, but a lot of the players are healthy again. And it looks like with Karen Gibbs, you have a solidified left back who can definitely make overlapping runs, which is something that we have lacked. As I mentioned, uh, could link up with anybody on that left side. Now, is it going to be Indiana Vasilev? Is it going to be Robbie Robinson? Is he ready to go? He, he's been off for quite some time now. Obviously, you don't want to run the risk of, of re, re, re-injuring um, that, that hamstring. That, that would be the last thing anybody in the world would want. 
personally, if Robbie is good to go, I'd, I'd rather him start there than Indiana, give him some time um, to come in. Also, I, personally, I don't know too much about Indiana Vasilev, and I, I think that you guys know better than I do when it comes to him, but I definitely know what I've seen from Robbie, and I, I know what I've seen from Robbie in, in 2021. So that's a guy that I, I think Inter-Miami could definitely benefit from. And a quick little thing on Marsman, should absolutely be the starter, um, if not in the Red Bulls game, the one right after. Yeah, I want to make a quick comment about uh, what you said about Robbie. Um, I, I I do feel like uh, Ian touched on this on Twitter the other day. I do feel like <clears throat> this Indiana signing is in, indicative of Robbie maybe being a bit more injured than the club expected. Uh, maybe they were going to sign Indiana anyway, but the fact that you know Indiana was signed gives me the feeling that Robbie still has a bit of a ways to go when it comes when it comes to his hamstring injury. I do think Indiana's a good pickup though. He's, you know, quick, he's fast, he's really good on the ball. Uh he's left footed. He's uh only 20, so he has room to grow. Um it's it's a low risk, high reward signing. You know, he's American, uh US youth international, so no no green card. Um it it, it you know he's with the team already so he can start training with them immediately um you know he's played for Ashton Villa he's made a couple of senior debuts uh appearances for him as well so yeah I, I think he'll he'll do well for sure it's something Inter Miami was missing on that left-hand side for a long time I know before the season started um Chris Henderson did mention that they wanted to reinforce that left wing spot but you know it never came to fruition uh during that transfer window but yeah it seems like they've got their 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 left their left winger and yes i agree with you about the nick marsman thing john mccarthy he's had his chances he's fumbled so many i i'm not inclined to feel bad for him because this he was he's been like a career usl player a career mls backup there was no way he should have been the starter on this team so uh yeah marsman uh coming on to the squad it's it's a big a big uh addition for for in miami yeah, yeah, I'll I'll touch on a couple of those things because um, I, I did, like you said, Alex, uh, mention this on Twitter. Was uh, you know just logically going through it and thinking about you know Jobin Jones is going to be out with the Gold Cup for a while. He's going to miss a couple of games with Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, Robbie has been injured, and Breck, sorry, has not performed pretty well uh, yes Joven was injured and, and didn't play um, seeing that you guys are, are reminding me in the chat but he's gonna play in the gold cup so he's not gonna be with the team regardless but uh, I'm, I'm just saying to the to the point is you don't really have anybody there and the loan for Indiana just goes through the rest of the season it doesn't go past this year so it costs the team basically nothing against the cap i know i'm a cap nerd so make fun of me in the comments all you want but it really doesn't cost the team really much of anything to to me the biggest one is is marsman i'm sorry i do feel bad for john mccarthy because he was put in a terrible situation last year when robles went down because when he got put in that situation, he had to basically put the team on his back because they didn't have anywhere to turn. And he didn't play great, but he didn't play bad. He played just not bad enough to win that spot. But to be honest, he's not an MLS capital or caliber goalkeeper. And statistically, this season, he has been the absolute worst goalkeeper in major league soccer. And so uh, we can talk about the defensive woes all we want, but at the end of the day, if Inter Miami is having the worst goalkeeping in the entire league, then bringing on a guy who is starting for one of the best clubs in the Netherlands just a couple of months ago, I think that that has the potential to really, it's very easy to talk about outfield players because we see them and they impact the game a lot more. But if Inter-Miami all of a sudden has a much better person standing in between the, the posts, then I think that can really make more of a difference. I would have to disagree a little bit there. Yes, John McCarthy has not played up to par, I guess, this season when it comes to other MLS keepers. But I, I feel like spending the last 20 
five thirty minutes on discussing the the weaknesses in the attack and in the midfield and the defense. It's had this season less other than, I guess, the Chicago game, uh, but it's had less to do with John McCarthy than it has to do with the outfield play, in my opinion. And that's why I'm saying I think Karen Gibbs or even I guess that I, I don't know. I, I'm going to be sh- I feel like I'm going to be shocked by this Vasilev signing, but even him. I mean, I, I think that they're. Are, they, they are quality signings, and I, and I actually am very excited for Marsden because it's going to give me a little bit of peace of mind when, when shots start to fly on target because we know Inter-Miami give up a lot of shots and a lot of goals. Uh, it's just, I don't know, I, I would say that the instability with the outfield players and bringing in a guy like Kieran Gibbs or Robbie coming back uh, or even this Vasilev signing gives me a little bit more confidence, not necessarily confidence, because I'm still not very confident in this team and how they're going to play with a couple of signings, but it increases the stability at least a little bit if they're able to gel and fit into the team right away. And yes, if Marsman can can do a better job than McCarthy, that would be great. But ultimately, I think the, the downfall of Inter-Miami this season thus far has definitely been more of the outfield play than it has to do with the defense. And I think that that's, I think in a previous episode, I was saying it's 60 to 40, uh, mostly on the defense as a John McCarthy. I think that I gave that percentage wise. So I don't know. I, I'm not a a stand for John McCarthy. I don't think that he's wonderful. It's just, I, I can't credit him for, anywhere close to most or half or even 40% of the fault. I really have to blame it on. Let me ask you, Austin, is there a single time this year where you've thought that, Oh man, the defense made a mistake and McCarthy came up big. The only one that I can think of is in the Atlanta game. Um, I I think that he's had a, well in the Chicago game, actually, I know he had that blunder, but, the, he had made some pretty fantastic saves in that match. And I think that there was another diving save um, in the Orlando game. Or, I mean, obviously you're, you're expecting keepers to make saves, but I, I'm not going to say fully that he's been great. No, but I think that he has limited some goals this season and Marsman will do a better job of it. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I think that Marsman is better for this team. But John McCarthy is not the reason Miami are losing games or even close to being the reason Miami is losing games other than the one game against Chicago in which they should have lost by more than one nil anyway because they gave up so many good chances. And like I said, John McCarthy came up huge a couple of times. Uh, I wanted to touch on uh, John McCarthy's uh, distribution. Uh, please, please, please do, please do, please. Though it's the it's, only that and saving crosses. The the only two statistical areas where he's good is distribution and stopping crosses. Uh, personally, I don't know. I don't know what the numbers say, but I I hate his distribution, I, and that's why I think we've seen a change from Neville in terms of his distribution. It, it's gone from it, it used to be really slow and he used to play through the middle, and now he is playing solely to either the the wingbacks or up to Breck Shea so he can head down balls. And that's kind of where it is now. And he just, he doesn't have that instinctual decision-making. He's always like second-guessing himself, it seems like. And it just, it is very, very frustrating to me. I'm not a fan of John McCarthy's distribution at all. Yeah, I've noticed that, excuse me, Intermime has uh, stopped playing out from the back. And like I've mentioned before, and you guys probably heard, um, during Neville's introductory uh, uh, press conference, he said, I have a non-negotiable style of play. So the fact that he's uh, stopped trying to play out from the back and they just lump it up to a 6-3 Breck Shea or Carranza or Iguain, whoever's up there, shows you that, you know, this team is struggling pretty bad. You know, Neville's trying to stick things to the wall to see what sticks, uh, like throw things to the wall to see see what sticks, excuse me. Um, so right now, I... I McCarthy versus Marsman. Marsman should absolutely be the number one, and I, I do think with Marsman coming in, it'll it'll be a huge uh, sigh, uh, sigh of relief <laughs> for Miami's defense. You know, like I said, you know, you watch the Euros, you see how great Casper Schmeichel is, you see how good Jordan Pickford is. Having a goalkeeper that can make those saves for you as a defender um, makes you feel better, it makes you confident, it makes you want to try a bit more, maybe play out from the back. So yeah, we'll see, but. McCarthy definitely had his chances and he's blundered a couple of them and we've just got to wait and see to see what Marsman uh, brings to the team. 
So Inter-Miami on the international break, as almost everybody is now, there were a, a lot of games across MLS last night. They currently sit uh, near the bottom of the Eastern Conference in 13th place, only Toronto below them, 2 Two and seven on the year, a minus eight goal differential, eight points tied with Toronto for last in MLS. They will return on July 17th at the New York Red Bulls. Uh, and we will definitely go much more into that game next week. But guys, just th- getting the opportunity to have this rest, have this time off and get these new signings in. Is this one of those situations that, like, thank God that this team is going to get this so that they can finally just sort of all sit down and go, what is going on? Let's get our house in order. Well, we had this situation, what, two two weeks ago where we were going to get a three week break i think that it was it was i think it was exactly 21 days and they came out with that loss against dc so yes i think that it can be beneficial but will the team take advantage i i certainly hope so uh but one thing i want to shine light on coming out of this break miami have a very tough schedule ahead and i'm just going to read you their next seven or eight so games um starting with the Red Bulls on the 17th. Their next game after that is the Revolution. Then it's Philadelphia. Then it's Montreal again. Then it's Orlando. Then it's Nashville. And then it's New York City FC. All of these, which are most of them at the top of the table in the East and all sitting in a playoff spot at the moment. So that is very, very scary. And if there is any time to take advantage of an international break and incoming signings, It is right now. You have to do everything you possibly can. And actually, I think it's really going to suck uh, losing Jovan Jones and Kelvin Leardham, but there is a lot to worry about. And for Inter Miami's playoff hopes, I know we want to get to, you know, how many points they could possibly take away from this. I'm going to give you guys a little shout here and give you an over-under scenario. I mean, there is... Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games that I just mentioned, a possible 21 points. I'm going to say for both of you, over or under nine points. Oh, under. I'm sorry. I just, they've, Inter Miami has not been creating any attacking threat, really. I'm, I'm looking at the heat map for the Montreal game, and there was barely any. You know, the final third was completely blue. There was no red. There were like zero touches in that area. I've got a hard time believing that they can pick up points against New England or a Philadelphia or Montreal again at Orlando. Like if Phil Neville doesn't pick up some some points out of these games, do you guys see him on the hot seat? Because I've got a hard time seeing Inter Miami, maybe a draw if they play well, but the way the offense is not clicking, I've got a very hard time seeing Inter Miami. Maybe they'll pick up six points. I don't know, but the way they've been playing now, it's it's really hard to see. It's funny because I always feel like I'm the negative one, and then like I feel now like the positive one because I'm going to go over. In fact, I'm going to say they have to get over. I mean, the season's like completely done if they don't go over nine points, especially in the next five games, uh, this is really non-negotiable. And the, the crazy part about it is if you go historically in major league soccer, more than really any league in the world, getting points at home is the most valuable thing you can possibly do. And the fact that we're this late in the season and Inter Miami has still not won a single game at home is really astonishing. If they, of the games that you mentioned, Austin, if they're able to run a string of games of results and points at home, they've done the work on the road all season long. If they're able to get some points at home, all of a sudden this flips on its head and it looks way more manageable and i think that it's really funny that i'm the optimistic guy in this so yeah i would agree uh to not have any points at drive pink stadium thus far is not just bad it's it's almost embarrassing but there is 
potential, you know, to have a good string of or a good run of form in a couple of home matches on the 21st of July, which is a Wednesday, a midweek game. You're against New England at home. The 25th of July, you're at home against Philly. In the 31st of July, you're at home against Montreal. That August 4th game that's in Orlando, I'm going to say that's a half home game because I know La Familia is going to be out there going crazy, and it's just going to be one of those rival atmospheres that you, you know, is completely unprecedented, and you don't know what's going to happen. And then you're back at home again on August eighth against Nashville. So there is there is potential where they do finally this season find a good stretch of home games where they can get results from. But with the opponents that they're facing and how strong a lot of these teams have been, like I know we, I know Inter Miami beat Philadelphia earlier on in this year, but it was by way of not, it was by way of almost a miracle. I would say that two one comeback win was was phenomenal. Um, Montreal have dominated on most fronts, uh, especially in first halves against uh, Inter Miami and New England. The Revolution have been having a phenomenal season, so it, it's hard for me to say that they're going to find points in these home matches. Uh, but again, it's it's that that atmosphere that La Familia could bring that could set them over the edge and finally get a win. But I'd have to unfortunately agree with Alex over the seven or eight game stretch. I don't see them getting over nine points. I, I just oh, man, it, it's tough. I will say I will say that it remind me do have a chance. I know. New England did lose recently. Maybe if they grind out results. Look, Inter Miami needs to start grinding out results, period. They're not playing the best football. They're not playing tactically well. They need to just grind out results, get something on a set piece, you know, hold on to the lead for dear life. We all thought that was going to be the Orlando game. We thought that was going to be the changing point, but they let up two goals and, you know, they lost that. So at the end of the day, Inter Miami just needs a result. They need to grind out wins. They need to get one the one zero Alonso wins from last season. <laughs> we need the the club needs that back. But I miss yeah. those. I miss yeah, those so much. I'd, I'd rather have those than these two zero two one losses. They're so draining. But yeah, and remind me just need to grind out wins at this point. Eight points dropped in the last half hour of a game. I mean that, that says it all. Uh, they they continually lose late. And that's been a lot of the season. You talk about over under nine points this season could be entirely different if they hadn't dropped if they hadn't dropped the LA game, right? I mean, if they, if they hadn't dropped the LA game yeah. first game yeah. of the year, <laughs> so uh, I think that, that this whole thing could be different. You you mentioned Orlando. We thought it would be different on DC one. We thought it would be different on DC two. We thought it would be different on Orlando. We thought it would be different on Montreal. So uh, it, it really is a, a difficult thing. But like I said, if they can find these home results, then uh, I really think that they'll be in a position where they're not they're not out of it yet. It's not over. I know that that everybody's writing them off, but it's not done just yet. So uh, if they can get these home results, I think that quickly the tide can turn. But speaking of things coming home, the Euro final is set. England against Italy in Wembley Stadium, and a lot of people very excited about it. Austin, I know you have a lot of thoughts about this. Uh, and this weekend, ha- having England uh, in their first ever European final, a very, uh, shall we say, controversial penalty that al- that Raheem Sterling had that allowed Harry Kane to not only miss the penalty, but then score off of the rebound, which gave them the uh, added time win or the, the extra time win, I should say. Uh, so as we look towards the, the end of the Euro final, Italy has basically steamrolled through this tournament. They look like the best team in Europe right now, uh, particularly possibly favorites for the World Cup in Qatar. Uh, I'll go as far to say they look like they are on a mission. So uh, break down your Euro finals for me. And did you see this coming? And does England stand a chance? First of all, never a penalty. Uh, that's, that was uh, 
it was exactly. a dive. It was not. A, it just exactly. wasn't a penalty. It wasn't a penalty. Uh, but that's that's football. The amazing I guess. thing was the English press going after Italy for diving the day before that happened. Oh, of, well, the English press and the English fans. Now I, I'm going to call them insufferable. They are very hard to tolerate. But at the same time, I know exactly what I was like after the USA beat Mexico in the Nations League final. So I can't blame them for it. I know exactly what it feels like, and I I can be one of those intolerable in sufferable fans uh but that's the passion of international football and it's honestly better than anything else i believe in the sport but look england italy it's going to be an outstanding showdown i i kind of wish denmark were there i feel like they were extremely hard done by uh but ultimately england were a lot better in in the semi-final match and as for italy they have had a phenomenal tournament they have scored some great goals they they seem like a great team uh they don't rely on any star players and it's going to be interesting to see how they break down uh southgate's defensive tactics i don't know what southgate's going to do i don't think anybody knows what southgate's going to do but i think it's going to be a very defensive matchup low scoring i feel like this is one of those games that could be nil nil going into extra time. Uh, it's going to be really interesting unless Southgate decides to start maybe Grealish or Sancho and they could have some attacking threat besides Raheem Sterling, who's been the, the main guy this tournament for England. So I just I don't know. I think it's going to be a very intriguing final and it's two fan bases and countries that are extremely passionate about their football or calcio i should say in italy's uh circumstance so i don't know if i want to give a prediction i i'm a little worried to give a prediction i just want to take the game for as it is and i want it to be a good game but i i think it's going to be quite the defensive showdown before i start i want to congratulate denmark for getting this far they went through something super traumatic i don't think anyone would blame them if they performed poorly for the rest of the tournament seeing as they saw a teammate collapse on the pitch. It was absolutely horrifying. Um, but I do want to say, England have the most insufferable fan base out of literally any international team. Even the Italians can be a bit much, but I've never been so irritated at a fan base than I have with England. First of all, their players are likable. <laughs> like, I don't hate any of the England players. Like, Raheem Sterling, Foden, Hurricane, all of them. I love Calvin. Alex, Phillips. you're American, right? You've seen yes. an, a, an American Mexico game? I'm yeah. just checking. Yeah, but so, that so doesn't annoy me as much. Than Mexico fans. <laughs> no, yes, uh, uh, Mexico fans are. I don't want to. Uh, if I speak, but for England, <laughs> for England, if I speak, <laughs> look, I don't want to get in trouble. I've already been jumped by Stoke fans once. Like they're gonna find me on Twitter. I don't want that. Anyway, but for England fans, <laughs> for England fans, they're just insufferable. Like, if you see the Instagram comments, they'll be like, it's coming home, and they'll, splant, they'll spam the, the English flag, and it's just, it's awful. It's never a penalty, and they're sitting, you know, like, they're sitting there saying, oh, you know, you're just salty. No, it's because Raheem Sterling dove in the box. It was never a penalty. I don't know why it was given. As for the final, I love the Italians. I love the way they play football. I do watch City A, so I'm familiar with a lot of their players. Um, I don't want to give a prediction because every team I've been rooting for has uh, lost in a tournament. I will not bring up the Netherlands, seeing as it's a bit of a sore spot for me. So um, I will be rooting for England because apparently any team that I do root for ends up losing. So come on, England. It's coming home. <laughs> I still love the idea of... <laughs> Uh, little sweet Alex getting in an argument over, <laughs> over like English fans in Stoke. How did that? There's a story there. There has to oh, be. Shawcross. Yeah. All yeah. Shawcross. Yeah. yeah. There was just Ryan signing, and I gave my thoughts, and they're like, no, no, he'll, he'll propel you guys to the Amos Cup. I don't know what they're saying, but like, it was just some ludicrous. Oh, yeah, they, they were calling just... him the best defender in MLS, like, like right away. And was... I mean, the proof is in the pudding, right, guys? Like we've seen it on the field. He's yeah, no, decent. Oh, uh, you guys took me seriously. I was joking. Oh, no, no, <laughs> no, no. no, no. He's been okay. I, I have. I'm not gonna say Shakars has been bad, but with all, I, I, he's actually surprised me, right? But with everything that he had coming into the season, the injuries and the lack of play over the last like 30, 365 days, the, the, the amount of football that he's played, 
there's no way in hell you were going to be able to tell me that this guy was going to be the best defender in MLS, best defender on Inter Miami, if that. Like, there was no way it was going to happen. But I'm telling you, Stoke fans, as Alex knows, are extremely, extremely passionate. And she got the uh, the worst side of it, unfortunately. So she's had a couple of run-ins with some people on Twitter, which is quite comical. Uh, but I'll leave it to her quote if I speak, and we'll just end it. Okay, well, I will just say that as for my opinion on the final, I've never seen uh, a game-winning penalty happen while two balls were on the field in the run of play at the same time. So little confused about how that happens. But nevertheless, uh, I've been told that, it, that if he doesn't actually run over the ball, but he just runs past the ball, that it doesn't count. I disagree with that interpretation of the rule, but many people have uh, made their opinions to me known on Twitter, which I find very funny. But uh, uh, congratulations, like Alex so wonderfully said, to Denmark, a wonderful run. I think a run that all of us can be in agreement, no one will ever forget, uh, to go through what they did and to make it that far and, and to honestly, in my opinion, probably should be in the final uh, is a remarkable accomplishment and uh, something that, that I know uh, a lot of people will remember for a very long time. There is... Another final, uh, another final that uh, is at a major intercontinental tournament, and that is, uh, needless to say, a rivalry that runs extremely, extremely deep. The Copa America final will be between Brazil and Argentina. Lionel Messi's, I'm going to say, last chance to win a major international tournament and uh, that's really tough to say. So, guys, let's uh, let, let's end here with this. Is he going to be able to get it done? This is really a, a make or break for, in my opinion, the great, at least the greatest soccer player I've ever seen, um, if not of all time. Uh, is he going to finally be able to raise an international trophy? Yes. I'm going to say Messi's going to get the job done. And I, I've watched a lot of Copa America. I, I've watched mainly because of my ties with Ecuador and, and watching this tournament. Argentina are very annoying to play against. They absolutely, I mean, a couple of the players, Paredes for one, is just like one of those players you hate to go against but love to have on your team. They have a lot of those kinds of players in, in this Copa America uh, squad right now, and I think that they're going to provide quite the test on a physical uh, standpoint when it comes to Brazil, but ultimately it's going to come down to what Messi can do and what solely Messi can do, carry Argentina on his back. I think he's going to be able to get the job done. Um Despite Brazil having an outstanding tournament, of course, they've been really, really, really good. Neymar especially. Uh, I think he's had six goal contributions in the six games or five games that they've played. So it's going to be a really good game. I think it'll be a better game than the England-Italy game. This Copa America final is one for the ages, and I can't wait for Saturday night. But I, I think Messi is going to finally get that that glorious trophy. Austin, is it fair? Is it fair what we do to him? to say that he hasn't gotten one and in a team sport of 11 players constantly saying that, that, Oh, he's never won it. No. Well, yes and no. Uh, I'll say yes, it's fair because you know, legacy is extremely important uh, and you have to, you know, if you, uh, we know Messi is one of, if not the greatest players of all time, but international trophies also really matter. But at the same time, I say it's not fair and, I'll leave it at Gonzalo Higuain, 2014. Yeah, if you guys don't mind, I'll I'll, I'll touch on all root for Brazil. <laughs> I think Argentina have had a great tournament, but I think is that because you want Argentina to win, or because of all? Your- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've got a Richarlison. You know, he's an Everton player, so I've I automatically got a. I've got to back him in his country. So you Evertonians, think, yes. oh my goodness! <laughs> so yeah, I've got to back. I've got to back Brazil. But I think it, it'll be an interesting game. Um, you know, South America. It's it's always intense. So um, I'm definitely gonna in, enjoy it. And hopefully, Messi will win a trophy. But I know the 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 news stories are gonna go 
absolutely wild if he ends up failing at at this final. So uh, definitely lots of intrigue around this game. I I I hate to feel this way, but Brazil just seemingly in our generation always seems to have Argentina's number. I, I hope that he gets it because he deserves it. But I can't help but think that whenever this comes up, it always winds up being Brazil getting it over uh, uh, over Argentina. Guys, let's close out with this. The Gold Cup, like we touched on, Leardom going to be with Suriname. Uh, Jovan Jones, if he's healthy, going to be with Trinidad and Tobago. And uh, an, an interesting draw for the United States. They will open up on Sunday with Haiti. They will then follow up on uh, next Thursday with Martinique and close out the following Sunday with Canada, which is has a tremendous roster guys your idea of the group how you think that they'll uh, they'll play in this first matchup against Haiti and of course we can cover the other games as they happen later on in the tournament but just a, a very MLS heavy roster and uh, seeing how MLS has improved over the past couple of years how you think this squad is going to be able to perform in the tournament I I think that they need to start off really strong uh, because that Canada game with the roster that they have could be a loss. Uh, I think they'll be able to beat uh, Martinique. But as for the Haiti game that's coming up on Sunday that I want to preview so I can give my thoughts in a review that we do in next week's episode. I watched a lot of Haiti. Uh, I watched a lot of Haiti in the qualifiers when they played against Canada. I watched them twice in person uh, in the prelims here at Drive Pink Stadium in Fort Lauderdale. And they have got some quality on their roster, and they are actually a well-coached team who have a style of play that that can be very tiring for oppositions. And they have some players up front, including Duckins Nazan, who is very physical, Piero as well, who's very physical and is going to provide a very tough test for the young MLS players in, I don't don't know, is Sam Vines going to start at left back or Julian Araujo going to start at right back? There are a couple players that I'm, I'm worried about coming up against these Haitian superstars and as well as the center back pairing, they're going to have to be extremely physical on Sunday because I'm telling you this number 20 for Haiti, Piero loves to play with his back to goal put his body on the defenders, make really good turns. He's an outstanding finisher and Walker Zimmerman and Miles Robinson, who I believe are going to be the center back pairing are going to have a tough test for them. They've got a couple of good midfielders as well. Derek Etienne from Columbus crew being one of them, uh, you know, Legette and Ewell and whoever else starts in that midfield, whether it's it going to be John, uh, is it going to be Busio? I, I, I don't know, but there, there is some quality on Haiti and I do not think that they should be tested or should not be taken lightly and USA will be tested in this match and ultimately the result of this may you know completely affect their outline for the entire gold cup yeah Haiti have got a couple players playing in uh France as well so they're definitely no slouches um as for the US um I think the Canada game will be difficult for them they could easily lose that I know Canada's gone through a bit of a resurgence <laughs> lately they've got a, tons of great players you know Alfonso Davies you know Cavallani excuse me uh yeah Lucas Cavallani from um the Whitecaps I I rate him a lot Alistair Johnson from Nashville they've got a lot of good players on on this team and um the U.S. should be you know like they could lose it, it's a real possibility you know it, they've got to be careful and I'm, I'm, in, I'm interested to see who who tops this group because it's definitely going to be it's going to be an interesting group, and I'm I'm excited to watch the tournament for sure. Well, I, I mean, they better win the group, right? It, it would I, be I a hope massive so. I, don't, I honestly yeah. don't think they will. Honestly, I, I don't I think, think that Canada they have is the... better than them. But no, they... agreed. Okay, I, I I mean, I think that Canada on paper, their starting eleven is better than the United States' starting eleven, and that's without. That's without Jonathan David. I don't believe that he was taken to the Gold Cup. And I think they'll probably be starting Kyle Lahren up top. But I I think Canada has a better roster and USA could struggle in this group. I think they'll get out of it. Uh, But when it comes to the knockout stages too, I I don't see the USA going and taking gold home. I, I don't see it. 
I mean, if if we're questioning whether or not, with all due respect, we're questioning whether or not they can get past Haiti and Martinique, I, I don't sense much confidence in your voice. I mean, you would think the United States should easily get past those two, correct, Austin? Yeah, 100%. But if they were playing the Nations League roster against this Haiti team, I, I'd have no questions. But with MLS quality defenders and midfielders going against a Haiti team that I saw score 10 goals in two games and completely dominate on all fronts against other CONCACAF opponents. I mean, I'm a little worried for what's going to happen and hopefully Burhalter has a plan because if they let Martinique and especially Haiti dominate the game or control the game in any aspect, they could be in big trouble. And I, like I said, I think they'll get out of the group but I, I don't think that the the quality of this roster is to where it needs to be to, to win an international trophy, especially in CONCACAF where we know it's very physical and very tough. Okay, well, we'll get to break it all down next week. We want to thank you all for all of your interactions on Twitter, on Instagram. You can follow us at The Heron Outlet. He is Austin Robillard. She is Alex Winley, and I am Ian Hest. We will see you for more Heron Outlet Talk next week.